Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you this morning. Happy Monday, Dr. Paul. Good. We're into July already. Almost, almost close to the 4th of July. Yeah. And I hope we're real close to a good uh, continuation of the revolution. Yeah, no <laughs> we backstepped a little bit. A little bit. When, yeah. when you read about the enthusiasm that went on at the time of our start of our country and declaring our independence, I'll yeah, tell you. Absolutely. Okay, now we're trying to declare independence from some crazy stuff going on <laughs> out yeah. in the world. And the one thing, even early on, uh, the founders, uh, you know, had a foreign policy quite different, but they weren't uh, benign. They still thought we had to have a military and uh, they wanted it to have certain qualified uh, uh, people in it. But right now, people are complaining, you know, the military is not the place to go. There's a, a reputation that's being diminished about military people. And uh, the article we want to mention here says the military recruiting crisis. Even veterans don't want their families to join. And you, we know dude, that generation after generations, people yeah. would go into the military out of respect to their parents and uh, out of respect and desire to have national defense for the people and for the country. But uh, you, you wonder what, what's going on here. Is, it all a, is that all a, a, a negative or what? My first thought was, you know, if you don't have this gun-ho, uh, you know, uh, mindless militarism that goes on and, uh, and, and then wokeism introduced it, is that really going to make us safer or is it going to make us more vulnerable? It looks like it's going to not only d diminish the power of the military, but it's going to diminish the enthusiasm of, uh, of, of what happens with wokeism here at home. Yeah. So it, the wokeism is so invasive. And the point here, too, is that it's even invaded something as uh, sacrosanct as our military yeah. and they're uh, undermining it. So the, the uh, veterans uh, don't uh, don't want to join, and uh, then I got to thinking, well, maybe it's good. There'll be less militarism. But then the next thought I had was, you know, what what if they run out of recruits? Yeah. They never wanted to get rid of registration. Yeah. Do you think they need the registration to find where the 18-year-olds? And you know, early on, I don't know whether they do it now. They go through the list. Oh, he's 18. He's not registered. He's committed a crime. Yeah, yeah. Well, if they have him registered and know where everybody is, what's the difference? But, uh, no, if, if uh, economic times get bad, sometimes that increases uh, recruitment. Uh, maybe even it's bad for some people now, and they might be resisting because of uh, what, what they see is they don't like. Uh, but... If things get really bad, uh, I think there's been a few draftees in this uh, war in Ukraine on both sides, most likely. They use, uh, use uh, draft people, and, and uh, that, that would be one thing that would be negative. That's why I think thinking about national defense and non-intervention foreign policy is crucial to understanding how to have the strongest uh, national defense and the uh, uh, great, greatest chance of achieving peace around the world has to be a different policy. And hopefully uh, our, our assessment is that we're on the right track in moving in that direction. Yeah, and this is from the Wall Street Journal. We can put up that first clip and that's what caught our attention. Because we've talked about the recruiting problems in the military for a couple of times on this show. 
But this is a big one, and I think because of exactly what you said, Dr. Paul, uh, and this is the subtitle of, of the article, even veterans don't want their families to join. Because as the article points out, 80% of, of those who join the military have some family member who are active duty or veterans. And what we're seeing now is even those veterans don't want their young family members to join. Now, if you go to the next clip, this is how they start the article. They start it with Sky Nispero, whose grandfather came to the U.S. from Mexico and became a U.S. citizen by serving in the U.S. Navy. Um, her father, Ernest Nisperos, is an active duty officer in the Air Force with two decades of service. For years, Sky planned to follow a similar path. I wanted to be a fighter pilot, the 22-year-old said. It was stuck in my head. Now, one of the most influential people in her life, her father, is telling her that a military career may not be the right thing. And this, the one thing that struck me about this article, Dr. Paul, is it went on down from reason, I maybe you felt the same way, from reason upon reason upon reason why people aren't interested in joining the military. The only thing that they ignored is the one that you just talked about and that we've talked about is the incredible growth of wokeism and cultural Marxism in the military. They didn't touch it. <laughs> they didn't touch it. So. That shows you how powerful this whole movement of wokeism is. But, but uh, we, when we have the chance, uh, point out that uh, wokeism isn't a permanent monolith, even though there are days when I think, boy, it, it's strong and the momentum is strong and people are putting up with it. <clears throat> but I think the pressure's been great, whether it's the military or whatever, to go along because of the punishment, uh, especially in industry now, if you don't go along with it, I don't think a lot of these people who go along with it are necessarily say, hey, this is the greatest idea in the world, but this is the way I save my job, yeah. <laughs> you know? And doctors were pressured to do that in lockdown and all that motivation that they had for that. But boy, you combine, uh, you know, the lockdown and wokeism, which really comes together because they were using the principles of wokeism to make people feel guilty for not obeying a social order that they designed by somebody else yeah. and not by people voluntarily uh, participating. And no, they did mention COVID in it, you know, but not in the way that we would say. What they blamed is, oh, well, they shut, they had to close down all the schools because of COVID, and that was a major area of recruiting, and that was the problem. They didn't mention the thousands of men and women in the military who were fired because they refused to take that deadly shot. You know, that is, I think, a bigger factor than the fact that, oh, the high school is not open for recruiters. Well, there's a couple of other things from the article you can do the next one now this is a quote from a senior DOD official and he or she says if we can put that up I've been studying the recruiting market for about 15 years and we've never seen a condition quite like this and the article goes on to say the US Army in 22 had its toughest recruiting year since the advent of the all-volunteer military in 73 it missed its goal by 25 percent this year expect and expects to end up about 15,000 short of its target 65,000 recruits. If I was smarter, I could do that math. I'm sure some of our viewers are much better at math than I was. Um, but the next one, if we go, it doesn't look good, let's put it that way. Uh, the next clip says, um, now Pentagon officials see recruitment shortfalls as a crisis and pledge to hit their targets in the future. <clears throat> okay, they're gonna fix it. So <clears throat> Army Secretary Christine Wormuth says she expects within weeks to begin drafting a proposal for recruiting overhaul so sweeping that Congress might need legislation to pass, pass legislation to enact all of it. So she has a plan. She's going to fix the problem. 
It's going to turn things over. I wonder what it's going to be. You know, something that may work to our benefit, the people who would like to change the foreign policy, is the fact that um, they, they're up against a wall because we have an empire that they deny exists. But the empire exists, and it has to be based on a lot of lies. But it also has to be based on uh, not yet money. Eventually, it will be based on money that we don't have. But it, it's, uh, it's, it's based, based on uh, you know, get, getting people to do these things that uh, generally they wouldn't be volunteering for if they knew what was really happening. And uh, they, uh, you, you know, were able up until recently, you know, to able to go to war. Some they were okay on, they got a little closer to getting true endorsement of the, of the people. But uh, Korea sort of opened up the door. Why were we there? What happened? Why did all these people die? Nothing really changed. But then when Vietnam came, how many people died? And yet uh, they were still in denial. Oh, well, we still have our empire and we'll make up for it. We have a Middle East to conquer. We'll conquer Middle East and show that we're, we're still there. And now, <clears throat> now, now they're saying, well, you know, we're still in the business of uh, empire because uh, we're, we have been up until now, but it looks like it's fading. We were uh, leading the charge to get Ukraine into NATO, really build up the anti-Russian forces yeah. and uh, but let the body bags go to another country. But that doesn't go, uh, you know, the other people in this country, you, you know, think, oh, yeah, we haven't seen too many body bags and it, it hasn't uh, it mattered as much. But that, I think I think that it'll fail, you know, when you put in wokeism and then this this whole idea, because I tell you what, uh, the uh, I, I imagine when the many empires that have existed around the world, traditionally, they depend on they depend on very, very authoritarian home troops, you know, to police the people. Yeah. It seems like we're getting that, but people are getting annoyed with that, just like they got tired of COVID. They'll get a tired, tired of that also. But uh, I I just think that uh, th this failure or this plan that they could get away without exposing our troops to harm. Uh, I think it's a good thing that they're starting to realize that that means come home, change your policy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, don't keep uh, keep pretending that one way or the other we can do it. And of course, the thing I mentioned first is the worst consequence of all this could be the reinstitution of the draft. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've talked on the show a couple times about what Bud Light did. It destroyed their brand. They say, I was just reading something this morning about how at least 25% of former consumers will never, ever go back. So they literally destroyed it by trying to embrace this woke ideology. And I would, I would offer a suggestion that the military has done a very similar thing. And I have a couple of exhibits to throw out there. Uh, maybe I'm just overreacting, but let's put this next one up. Now, this is from the U.S. Army Special Operations Command. When I think of special operations, I think of brave men and women, mostly men, who do things that very few people can do because it requires an incredible amount of strength and skill. Um, but here's what they put out uh, this month. USA SOC recognizes June as Pride Month, celebrating all LGBTQ plus members in our formations uh, throughout history, et cetera, et cetera. They fought, et cetera, and I'm sure they have. And I don't, th I don't see there's really a problem with that. But this celebrating, I think, undermines uh, the message. Now look at the next one. This was a, a kind of a big deal. I think we talked about it when it came out. This is a U.S. Army colonel 
his name is Brian Donnelly, who liked to dress up in his uniform and celebrate his very, very strange lifestyle of pretending to be a dog. Um, and now the next one, now this just came out over the weekend and they had a lot of attention on Twitter. If you can put the next one up. Um, this actually came from the Department of Defense. U.S. Army Major Rachel Jones found solace after coming out as a transgender female. Her journey from battling depression and suicidal thoughts to embracing authenticity inspires us all. Now, the first thing I thought of, Dr. Paul, um, I know I've not been in the military, but I suspect when they screen people out for going into the trenches, like, have you ever had depression and suicidal thoughts? Yes, all the time. Okay, you're in. <laughs> it seems like that's one of the things that maybe is not the best thing. But I want to put on a short clip, of, and I'm not trying to pick on this person. I'm picking on the system that presents this and also trying to understand why nobody wants to join the military anymore. Now imagine you're an 18 year old kid and you go ahead and you cook on Twitter and you listen to Major Rachel. Let's listen up to, you might want to put your earphone in Dr. Paul, maybe you don't, but um, here's, here's Major Rachel Jones. Hi, I'm Major Rachel Jones and what pride means to me is celebrating that diversity is our strength as a nation and as an army. Pride means something very special to me as a LGBTQ individual, and it's a chance to show everyone what we have to offer in terms of the diverse skill sets that we bring and the diverse ways of thinking we bring into the team to make everything work better. So she's using this to defend strengthening the military here. We're talking about, it looks like it's sort of participate in destroying the, the, the military. You know, I was thinking, you know, I've been in the Air Force involved in flying and, and very interested. In it. And I've always been fascinated because I know quite a few people and now they've been in the Air Force, uh, women pilots. Yeah. And yeah. they're good. Uh, but, but they're sort of an exception, you know, the average. But even during World War II, there were a lot of women pilots. They weren't, uh, they, they weren't fighter pilots, but they, they were involved. So I always thought, this was pretty neat. But you know what? They've, they've eliminated women pilots. Yeah, yeah. You're not allowed to say women. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> There's no more women pilots. So what what, what a deal. Women. You can't even say, you know, uh, you know over, over a period of time, they're a woman pilot. Boy, that's, that's pretty neat. Overcome all the obstacles and uh, show them that they could be equal in flying an airplane, but, but not anymore. You don't exist. We've yep. just eliminated all women pilots. No women, no women. <laughs> well, I, you know, in your typical way, you mentioned the silver lining, and I think that's probably the end of, of, of what this might be because I would hope that middle America now will see this military as we have it under Lloyd Austin and all the other people on down as not something that defends America, not something that defends our value, but something that uses and abuses these recruits, these people that come in with the best of intentions and abuses them to a social experimentation of an extreme group of people who really don't reflect the basic values of the United States. So maybe Americans will rethink their militarism when they realize that this is what they have in mind. You know, and, and I think that's been known in history that there, there are moods up and down, they slip, then they come back and they renew some values. But there was also times in history when sometimes that takes a, a long, long time, not just one generation. And uh, the big question now, are we at a point where the momentum of uh, this crazy stuff continues and gets worse, even through the bankruptcy, or will the, the moral and financial bankruptcy wake people up? 
up and finally say, hey, there's a different system and maybe we better look at it. And the founders gave us a hint in which direction to go. So I think that's that's the big question. But uh, it could go either way and it depends on how many people decide, uh, you know, in the country that they'd rather live in a free society, enjoy their independence and uh, what true liberty is all about, or are they going to be dependent and say, well, uh, we got to have more reparations. They they did something to my great-great-great-grandfather, and yeah. I, want, I want an umpteen number of dollars, <clears throat> and that's equity. Yeah. You know, that kind of nonsense that goes on. So we'll see what happens, but I think, uh, you know, this is what a lot of people in the libertarian movement, uh, they're less likely to write a whole lot about the military stuff, but uh, they, they are good at laying the groundwork, economic policy and foreign policy, on what is necessary when the people are ready to turn around. And, uh, and I think, and this is where you challenge me. <laughs> I said, There's more and more people, they're willing to turn around. It used to be 3%, 3%, <laughs> now it's 4%. No, I'm just kidding because I think, I think when there's a fair shot at it and the people know what's, what they're comparing it to uh, and, and they don't have other alternatives and, and the welfare state is yeah. broke, they're, they're going to make a choice. Oh, yeah, we want a real tyrant to, to keep, keep making the food and, and, the, fair, and the free stuff come. Yeah. No, it's, no, it, it'll come around because I, I think there's a healthy resistance to, to the nonsense that's going on. I think this resistance to wokeism yeah. is... Uh, growing but at the same time they still buckle down into government and big corporation I never believed I could theoretically understand it but the the combination of big business and government really is putting this stuff together that uh, makes no sense whatsoever 90% of the people think it's crazy yeah. and yet they're still too complacent yeah yeah well I remember when I worked for you on Capitol Hill and you said you know, this don't ask, don't tell policy, I kind of like the sound of it, you know? Yeah. And, and you look back, it seems so quaint. It wasn't that long ago. But the idea is that whatever you want to do in private is your own business. But whatever it may be, just don't celebrate it. It's private. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, but, but they want acceptance. Yeah. And that's the reason. Or more they than have that. To, more than that. They want to plus <laughs> Acceptance plus push, push their agenda. And they want to be the uh, authoritarians. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let's move on. Speaking of military <clears throat> stuff. Our old friend Zelensky is back, and he's a little bit dejected. Let's put that next one up. Oh. This is uh, from Zero Hedge. He's looking around, and things are not going well, and he's getting mad at his own people. Zelensky implores the military to show results before the NATO summit amid waning enthusiasm in the West. Now, this has been since June 4th, the counteroffensive, which hasn't even made it to Russia's first of three or four lines of defense. Uh, they're stuck in the gray zone. Things aren't working well. Um, now he's complaining that the weather's not been good, this, that, and the other. The Ukrainian soldiers, I was listening to Alex Christoforo this morning, and they, they're, they're mad because they said the French tanks are, are garbage, they're no good. Um, so there's a lot of excuses, but what there is not is a lot of results. What there is is a lot of death, and it looks like he's blaming his own military for it. Yes, and, and uh, others who are supposed to come to their rescue like the American taxpayer. Yeah, yeah, You're not yeah. sending us enough stuff. Yeah. I think you brought up the subject. We need more bipartisanship. Some of those Republicans aren't, aren't doing so well, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, we want them to, you know, send us more stuff. And uh, that's why, you know, the bankruptcy 
is not all that bad, but that's painful and it can be avoided if we had common sense. Uh, I'm not expecting that to happen. I think we're going to go through uh, through the uh, uh, severe period where a lot of people are going to suffer unnecessarily. And uh, right now, as long as uh, as long as we print money and they keep taking it, uh, we're, we're going to still run it. Nobody. Uh, you know, even though they talk about that deficit and all, that's a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. That, and they, uh, they, they essentially, and the, and the economists in our universities, say, you worry, you guys worry too much. Yeah. <laughs> you worry too much about the deficit. Uh, we, we can handle that. And I, uh, you know, some of these numbers that uh, are going up, that exponential growth, uh, growth of the debt is, you, you know, it's, 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 it's boomed here in the last yeah. 10 years. But what's going to, what they're predicting now in the next 10 years, because there's so much bad debt out there. And bad debt is the things that have been made and built and the businesses that have been built with bad debt. Bad information from uh, you know interest rates, and uh, and, and and that's going to come crashing down together. <clears throat> and the world, uh, you know, it, this is a global interest. Everybody talks about globalism. Well, they ended up getting globalism, but it's going to be global a global problem because uh, our empire and our influence of our empire, our dollar, it's been so so great so this stuff this stuff will end that's why we better keep busy that's yeah. why i sure hope we have a good turnout for our conference yes, that's coming up exactly <laughs> well they i mean i think between the u.s and eu they sent about 250 billion 200 billion dollars you know and some change <laughs> over there with literally no accounting for it nothing to show <laughs> for it in fact over the weekend victor orban the prime minister of hungary said hey i'm not i'm not gonna i'm gonna block we're gonna block an additional 50 billion because we want to know what they did with the last 70 billion you know before we give any more money <laughs> oh, there's no accounting for it Zelensky continues to blame the u.s we're losing because you didn't give us enough stuff um and that continues to be what they're saying yeah you mentioned some republicans there's one republican who went over there Let's put this next picture up just to show. There is Michael Pence. He's the only one, uh, to their credit. Um, even um, even uh, Trump, of course, has said he's skeptical about it. DeSantis is skeptical, skeptical about a blank check, but not good old Mike Pence. He's out there and giving more money. Let's look at the next one. Now, this is Zelensky's mindset right now. Uh, he stressed that maintaining Bipartisan support is the most important thing for Ukraine, regardless of who wins the election. Of course, that means translate to send us money, send us money. He also said something that struck me as particularly crazy. NATO without Ukraine is not NATO. So he's <laughs> begging to get in. He wants something to happen by July 11th. He's going to be disappointed because NATO is not going to admit a country that's at war uh, and have the Article 5, you know, uh, kick in. Um, but the dangerous thing, I think, is that there's so much pressure on Ukraine between now and literally just a week from now when the NATO summit happens that they may try something crazy. They've already done some false flags. They've already done some crazy things like blow up the dam. Even the U.S. government thinks they were involved in blowing up Nord Stream, yet it doesn't seem to bother us. We keep sending them money. They had their drones go over uh, Red Square in Moscow. So there, there's, there's going to be a huge temptation for them to do something crazy, include possibly blowing up the largest nuclear power plant in Europe and trying to blame it on the Russians. So this is a dangerous week. Zelensky, you know, was involved in our political system and was criticizing Republicans and Democrats and the other. But when I th thought of it, he should be careful because there are some 
decent Republicans right now <laughs> that are fighting to try to straighten some of this out. But uh, so my thought was, but not not the ne neocons. He says we want we want people to uh, you know the, the some of the people are bad people because they're they're talking about that. But the ones but the neocons, I'll tell you what, they're all with them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're all for, for it. And what amazes me is how some of the most militant neocons who might pick. Oh, Ukraine, that's my issue. Yeah. Oh, no, China, that's my <laughs> issue. And yeah. it, it, it never dawns on them that there might be, uh, well, that's not very consistent, but it's necessary because we are smart enough to understand the difference between Ukraine and Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there is a difference. 10,000 miles. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Other than that, it's part of our empire. Go away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, we want to just finish with a little mention of something interesting because this is a very famous author who, who is controversial for reasons doesn't seem to me like she should be that controversial. And that's J.K. Rowling, of course, the author of the Harry Potter books, which has made her fabulously wealthy and very influential. Now, she's congratulating an anti-trans activist after the judge awards the anti-trans activist $127,000 for wrongful firing. So this woman worked for a company and she made a tweet uh, uh, Foster, Forster, her name is, she made a tweet uh, saying that uh, men can't be women, <coughs> and she was fired, and she sued, and she won. So it's a it's very interesting uh, topic, I think. Yeah, <coughs> and uh, anytime these come up, I try to read the whole thing because <coughs> when you think about the freedom of speech movement, when the government and social media became partners, and then sometimes business people, you know, do have some rights on what your employees do, and it should be in an agreement in your contract. They they shouldn't come to work. To me, it's sort of like if you go to church and you're going to a Christian church, that doesn't mean you have to give equal time to the atheists, yeah. you know. And and it's the same way here. If uh, if they're saying things, and it's a political, uh, in this case, the speech was good speech, yeah. you know. But in some sometimes if if somebody marches in and starts preaching uh, radical communism within a job, uh, the, the, the businessman should be able to protect themselves from it because it's it's property, and that's why I think when. The, when there's ever a, uh, a controversy on do they have the right to do this under the First Amendment and yeah. all, then they, they, <laughs> should, they should look at this. Most of the time, you can solve the problem over a property rights issue and contracts on what you can say and when and where. But it's when the government comes in and locks you down, and that's what happened you know, with the social media. It was yeah. the, it, they, they, were, they were partners in crime, and uh, it's still going on. Yeah, well... I'm ready to close out if you think we're done. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I want to put up a video. It's just a little over a minute, which is a little longer than we try to make it. But it's someone that you and I met in person for the first time, Max Blumenthal. We met him at the rally, the peace rally in January. And I've corresponded with Max for a long time, of course. Uh, but it was great to meet him in person. He was invited to speak before the UN Security Council and talk about aid to Ukraine. Now, he had a great 15-minute speech. I sent out an update to our subscribers for the Ron Paul Institute, giving them a link to the whole speech. But let's just listen to this one minute of it because it is very, yeah, go back to the beginning. Yeah, it's very powerful. Why are we doing this? Why are we tempting nuclear annihilation by flooding Ukraine with advanced weapons and sabotaging negotiations at every turn? We've been told by people like Senator Dick Durbin that Ukraine is literally in a battle for freedom and democracy itself. 
And therefore, anyone who opposes military aid to Ukraine opposes the very defense of democracy, according to this logic. So where's the democracy in Vladimir Zelensky's decision to ban opposition parties, to criminalize the media outlets of his legitimate political opponents, to jail his top political rival and his deputies, to raid Orthodox churches and jail clergymen? Where is the democracy in the Ukrainian government's imprisonment of Gonzalo Lira, an American citizen, simply for challenging the official narrative of Ukraine's war? And where is the democracy in Zelensky's recent decision to suspend elections in 2024 on the grounds that martial law has been declared? The answer is that Ukrainian democracy is harder to find these days than that country's commander-in-chief, Valery Zeluzhny. So that's terrific stuff from Max Blumenthal. And what I, I did mention it before, but Max will be speaking at our conference. And I'm really, really grateful to him for spending some time with us. Um, if you go to the next clip, that last clip, uh, it's the Ron Paul Institute annual DC conference taking place on September the 2nd, 2023. Which way America? Max will be there. A lot of other great people that we'll talk about as we move along. But if you watch that clip, I'm sure you're going to be motivated to get those tickets and come visit us. We held the line on prices, even though inflation is killing us, um, because we want you there. Go to ronpaulinstitute.org. I'll put a link in here, but you will see this logo in the upper right-hand corner of the website. Click on it for more information and to get your tickets. Come see Max, Colonel McGregor, and a bunch of other great people. Ron Paul is going to be there. It's going to be a blast. So... Back to you, sir. Wonderful. All right. <clears throat> you know, uh, <clears throat> during the presidential campaigns, a few slogans that came out of my mouth spontaneously <clears throat> uh, were well received. One, one was uh, freedom is popular. Yeah. That's brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> but it was. True. Freedom was popular. And they, and they liked that. And uh, the other one was freedom brings people together. And that's what we're interested in our conferences to do. And Max, everything I've heard is very, very favorable, but I'm sure there are differences because that's why we have an open door policy to talking to people who want to talk yeah. and be reasonable and don't yell and scream and uh, see, see where you can come together. But there's no doubt in my mind a free society brings people together because uh, it you know, in a narrow sense, uh, in one issue, uh, you know, religious freedom in this country up until recently when uh, before wokeism has come in. Now, basically, people respect their religious values and, and this is good. But so people come together. And, and I think uh, on sexual activity, people come together. But it's an absence of force. People have to come together for voluntary reasons. And uh, this is the reason, because even if you remain disagreeable with people, you do what you want, we'll do what we want, and we have to settle it. But you know, the real challenge is that you have to be really radical, because for this to work, you have to give up the initiation of violence and force and telling people, yeah, this is a good idea, but I know a lot more than you do, and you're going to do it my way, and I'm in politics, you know. That's where your problem is. So hopefully we can... Uh, uh, you know, participate in the solution to that type of difficulty. And that's why we're looking forward to our coming, upcoming uh, 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 meeting uh, up, at, uh, up in D.C. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.